0: people, their favorite Bible story, Bible character, a lot of people, it's David. And I wanted to speak to a couple of things that people normally assume about David and his story that are not necessarily correct. A lot of people think that David's first meeting or first interaction with King Saul was when David came and killed Goliath. That's not true. Uh, King Saul had what I believe was a, um, a mental health disorder that eventually turned into a demonic uh, oppression and possession disorder. But I think it started out as just a, a mental disorder and mental emotional disorder. And so early on when he would have these mental episodes, uh, his attendants, his staff noticed that music calmed him down. So long before Goliath ever came and threatened the Israelites, Saul's staff, his attendants, found out that David, this little teenager, was an incredible musician. He was a great singer and songwriter. And they hired him to come in and play for Saul when he would get into one of his episodes, one of his problems that he would have. And so David would come you know, on a contract basis. He would play for Saul. The music would soothe him. And then David would go back home uh, to his father Jesse's house. And so this went on for some time. And so that gives you a little bit of of context. If you ever read the story of David and Goliath and you wondered why Saul, the king of the nation, would just haphazardly send some teenage boy out to the battlefield and offer him his armor that some little boy he never knew, it didn't really make sense. But when you know that they had an established relationship, Saul knew who David was. He didn't know him as a warrior. He didn't know him in that context. But he knew who he was personally. And so that's, that's the first thing. So you know the story. It's very famous. Uh, David is at Jesse's house at home. His father sends him with bread and cheese to his brothers. They're on the front lines of a battlefield because the Philistines have come into Israel and they're, they're threatening them and setting up shop. The Israelites are afraid because the Philistines have a giant, a literal giant, a champion, and he represents the army, and so Israel's intimidated because of him. David comes up to bring the bread and the cheese. Here's the giant. David says, I'll go fight him. He talks Saul into letting him go fight him because, again, they had a previously established relationship. And David goes and he knocks the giant down with a rock thrown from a slingshot and then walks over and cuts his head off. When this little Israelite boy killed this giant, you have to understand the national and the military implications. When the army of Israel saw that one of their little teenage boys, not big in stature, knocked, the champion of the Philistines down, it emboldened them as an army. So they immediately came out of hiding and they started chasing the Philistines. The Philistines on the other hand, they were defeated. It was a moral blow to see Goliath fall. So they take a, a posture of retreating. So I'm talking about as soon as the giant falls, Israel charges, and they launch a campaign. Saul is a very wise king. He doesn't want to waste momentum. They launch a campaign to drive the Philistines out of their country. So you can imagine the scene. Goliath falls. Saul gets all the army. He gets David up there with him, and they go on this campaign to drive the Philistines out. They were gone a few weeks, maybe a couple of months at the most driving the Philistines out. And where we picked up in our text was when they were all coming back from a great victory. Bolstered by David's win over Goliath, they came and they 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 whooped up the Philistines, cleaned their clocks, and now they're coming back. And at the moment riding back into the nation, David is enjoying the sunshine of Saul's favor. It can't be overstated how close these two were. It can't be overstated how proud Saul was of David. It can't be overstated how that that David growing up in a home and the, the scripture kind of brings out that his father was not proud of him, his father didn't really accept him. Now you've got the king of the nation pulling you close and, and, and accepting you. That Their relationship was tight instantly and very, very special. And David's just riding in this unbelievable favor, the favor of Saul, which was ultimately a result of the favor of God. When God favors you, the favor of God causes people to favor you. Saul doesn't just you know David previously before Goliath he had just been coming to the palace to play and sing for Saul and then go back home after they get back Saul says I don't want you to go home no more I want you to stay here I want to give you a a staff position in the kingdom I want to put you over all of the military and in fact I want you to live here with me. Saul's son, Jonathan, basically tells David, you're my brother. Okay. But my my heart is knit to yours like, like it would be a brother. You're the brother I never had. Be my brother. Saul's daughters, both of them, fall in love with David. And are competing with each other over which one's going to get to marry him. And Saul, David, David says when they bring it up, David says, I'm, I'm, I am not nobility. I'm not from a, a noble house or bloodline. I'm not qualified to marry. And Saul looks at him and says, no, I want you to be my son-in-law. I want you to be my son. Okay. Saul is extending himself as far as he can for David and he loved him, and he was great with him until. Saul was a smart guy. He knew that you're not always celebrated the way you should be when you come home. He knew that you can go through hell and warfare and difficulty outside the home. And if you come home to celebration, it fills you back up with energy. It fills you back up with the strength you need to go out and do it again. But if you go out there and you fight and then you come home to no celebration and no appreciation, It'll almost kill a man on the inside. So Saul set up a protocol. If we go out and fight for y'all and we win the victory, when we ride back in, all y'all better line these streets and sing to us while we're walking back. Celebrate us while we're riding back in. Give us an attaboy. Give us a slap on the back. Give us some appreciation. And so Saul is riding back in from the victory and he's got his singers that he had appointed lying in the streets to obey his protocol, but they sang the wrong song. And, and David, you know, I, 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 feel, I feel bad for him because he... He doesn't even know why he's here. Okay. Yeah. He can't even fully explain why he's here. He can't even tell you how he got blessed so fast. You have to read his whole life story really to understand how he got so blessed so quick. And it's really just two things. Number one, he knew his gift, and he kept working it. Just real simple, two little things. He knew his gift, And he kept working it. And what what a strange thing that is. You know, you have to press into God enough and also live life enough to discover what your gift is. Because God cannot bless a gift you will not identify. God's blessing in your life flows through the channel. Of God's gifting in your life but if you don't know where you've been gifted you don't know how to get your blessing and so David has been blessed by just sticking with his gift you and what a what a silly gift it was David could throw rocks listen Listen, for all of you who, when I said you gotta discover what your gift is and then God's blessing will flow through your gift, some of you immediately thought, but I don't have a great gift. Okay. Neither did David. David's gift is throwing rocks. Now, you may point to David's skills. You know, David was a great musician, he's a great songwriter, he's a great singer, but none of those things got him a bedroom in the palace and a position over the army. The thing that got him so blessed was that he could throw a rock and hit a target. See, you don't have to have a great gift for God to use it to do great things. See, David's gift would have never brought him to prominence except an unusual giant rose to power. And when unusual giants rise to power, God will fix it so that the kings of this earth need people who have unusual gifts. Never despise your gift. There's a giant somewhere that only your gift will bring down. I'm going to say that again. There's a giant somewhere in corporate America that only your gift will bring down. There's a giant somewhere in your community that only your gift will bring down. There's a giant that all of the conventional methods that have been tried, it won't work on. They need the thing you have. And that's how David got it. Just in a whirlwind, in a suddenly, just because he knew how to throw rocks. What, What can you do? Because when you discover what you can do and you stick with it, you're gift will drag you into opportunities. Your gift will drag you into an upgraded life. Your gift will shock you. Proverbs says your gift will make room for you, that you don't even have to make room for yourself. If you learn what your gift is and you keep working it, your gift will go kick the door down before you ever get there. And that's what happened in David's life. He's just been working his gift, and he gets there, and in the beginning, Saul loved it. Saul wanted him on his staff, on his team, in his family, and then Saul heard the wrong song, and the song was a song of comparison. Comparing David's success to Saul's success. The moment he heard the song, he started to despise David. You ever had a song song? You didn't even like get stuck in your head. Or or you ever had a song that you hated? Get stuck in your head? If you have kids under five years old, will you raise your hand? Not many, but di bo di di bo di di bo. I want to smash my head against the wall. When I hear that song, and yet I will wake up in the morning. And if you don't know nothing about DDTPO, don't ever look it up. It will stay with you. It will haunt you. It'll pop in your head in the most inopportune times. Almost gave another example, but I'm. <laughs> the wrong song got stuck in his head. And from that moment, he began to despise David. Did you know? Many times. You will be despised, not because of how you failed. You'll be despised because of how successful you were. In fact, the more successful you become, shockingly, the more despised you will be. And and this, this cuts against the grain of what we normally think in our lives because when when we are persecuted by people, because a lot of us carry around some level of insecurity or or some level of not being sure of ourselves, when someone despises you, the almost the automatic instinct is to step back and think, what did I do? You know? You almost instantly internalize. The fact that they despise you. And you kind of wonder, like, what is wrong with me that this person hates me so much? And, and oftentimes when you're being despised, you need to step back from it a little bit and just think. Because it's very possible that you are not despised because you're so bad. It could be that you're being despised because you're so good. And what makes matters worse is in the text. Saul is despising him over something somebody else said. It's not like David singing the song. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha, you killed your thousands. I killed 10,000. I can understand you hating him. If he was doing that, you know. David didn't say nothing. David was being quiet. It's dangerous to be congratulated in public. And now Saul has switched on David. You ever have people switch on you? Now Saul is starting to fight somebody. That he invited. I know this sounds strange to you, but some people can switch so fast, they'll invite you and then fight you when you come. I was preaching somewhere one time. Somebody asked me to come in and preach, and I did too good. And I don't have time to explain to you the politics and dynamics of what I just said. Just... Trust me, I did too good, and it made them mad. And they got mad at me. And I wanted to remind them when they got mad, you invited me. People will do that. They'll switch on you. They'll hire you and then switch on you. Ever had them do it? They'll invite you and then switch on you. They'll marry you sometimes. And then switch on you. You know. When y'all was dating, he said, I love the fact that you speak your mind. Because I've always grown up around people who kept everything bottled up and I never knew what they were thinking and I always felt unsure. But with you, I know exactly how you feel and where you stand and what you're thinking and where I stand. And it's so comforting to me. And I want to marry you. And then you get married and now you're just a loud mouth who never shuts up and doesn't know when to stop talking. And you you think to yourself, I was like this when you invited me. (laughs) Isn't it confusing when people switch? (laughs) And David is confused because Saul has switched. And he didn't even sing the song, he switched because somebody else sang the wrong. I'm sure David was was riding in, hearing him sing that, and I'm sure he was thinking, would you please shut up? I've never had an opportunity like this in my life. That's the king you're singing about. Would you please (laughs) shut up? Saul's decline. It's a disturbing thing. Very few people in the scripture do you see used at the level Saul was used and then fall away from God and be lost. When we talk about that, that song of negative comparison, okay. before we get into the, the negative part of it, let's talk about what it's not, okay? Can I do that with you? A lot of people automatically assume that competition and negative comparison are the same thing. Okay. We live in a culture and a generation that is starting to shy away from competition, okay? OK? And make competition a negative thing, and give everybody a trophy just for showing up. Sit there and look at me, you're going to hate this if you're one of those people. Okay. Okay. And they don't want to compete. They don't want to compete at the job, you know? They don't want to compete in other arenas of life. They just want to show up. And because you showed up with your wonderful self, you get the best of what we have to offer. Because really, you shouldn't have to work to prove nothing because you're just so awesome. That's the culture we're living in, right? And and I want to kind of dispel that competition can be a good thing. Okay. Competition is designed to bring the best effort you've got to the top. And so, you know, if your kids are in a spelling bee and they know that they're going to be competing against other kids, they'll study harder than they normally would have studied. They'll give more effort. If you're, if you're, if you're going to, to play football at the school and, and you know, there's, there's one position and you got five guys competing for the spot, well, there's going to have to be a competition and those guys are going to give the very best that they can to try to earn the spot. Competition brings your best to the top. It's designed to squeeze the best out of you. If you're a business owner and you are totally ignorant and unaware of your competition, you won't be a business owner very long. Because if you don't know what the competition is charging, then you'll price yourself out of the market. If you don't know what the competition is doing according to customer service, then you won't be relevant in what you're trying to offer. Competition in and of itself, is not a negative thing. Neither is having the desire to represent yourself well. It's not a negative thing to be aware of other people in your sphere and have a desire to present the best you can. I mean, it's the reason you combed your hair before you came to church this morning. Some of you. And, and and to act like we're not aware of each other is silly. I mean, some, some of you in here will say, I don't care what anybody thinks of my appearance. If that were true, I promise you, there would be a drastic difference between what we can see right now and what we would have seen when you rolled out of the bed this morning. You did not wake up like this. I've seen all your little t-shirts and your slogans. I woke up like this. No, you didn't. The devil is a liar. You did not wake up like this. Some level of effort was involved. Because you may not have wanted to be the best dressed. You may not be trying to be a beauty queen or anything. But you you wanted to make an effort because you are aware of other people. That's not a negative thing. Competitiveness, if you're taking notes, competitiveness is healthy as long as it relates to performance but there's one thing you can never compete over you can never compete over purpose and when people that are competitive and they compete over all these other things try to step in and compete over purpose, now you've stepped out of competition and into a toxic, wrong song of comparisons, because I can't compete with you over your purpose. I can't do anything about your purpose, and neither can you, incidentally, because your purpose was given to you by God. And so watch this. When you start to believe that your individual purpose is either better or lesser than someone else, you've slipped into a toxic comparison that's poisonous for your soul. So if you look at them and you you think on some level, well, I'm, I'm more significant or I'm better than they are because of what I'm doing and my purpose. Or if you look at them and you say, man, they're just so much better than me. They're so much more significant than me. How could I ever be? Both are poisonous and both are wrong. You can't compare purpose because purpose was given by God. And to illustrate this, this is going to make some of you mad, but to illustrate this, it's football season. I want to show this this slide, this illustration. Every time I teach this text, I show this illustration. Okay, let's look at this real quick. Some of y'all are going to be totally lost, but it's okay. On the left here, we have Cooper Cup. Okay? Weird name, right? Cooper Cup. And Cooper Cup is the leading wide receiver in the NFL so far this year. Now, he stands at six foot two. he weighs 208 pounds. So far, and the year's not nearly done, so far he's already got 74 receptions, which for a wide receiver at this point in the year, that's insane. He's got over 1,000 yards, which is kind of the benchmark most wideouts want to get at the end of the year. He's already got it. And he's got 10 touchdowns, okay? Cooper Cup, bad man, okay? On the right, Zoe's going to be happy, and so is Jeff Leggett. On the right, we have Trent Williams, who's an offensive lineman, and he's the best in the league, okay? Now, <clears throat> y'all finally started preaching with me. Man, now I know what I have to do to get some support out of the band pit. Glory to God. Okay, Trent Williams is the best offensive lineman. Now, here's the thing about offensive linemen. They don't really keep a lot of stats for them, Okay. So the greatest thing you can say about Trent Williams is he's only allowed one sack this whole year, which that may, not, that may not sound, that's crazy. That's just crazy that he's only allowed that. Now, which one of them is better? I want you to think about it. Which one of them is better? It's a silly question. You can't compare them. Because they each serve a different purpose. Can you imagine Cooper going up to Trent and saying, I'm better than you? Because I catch the football and I can run fast and score touchdowns. It would be just as silly as Trent saying to Cooper, I'm better than you because I can keep a 350-pound defensive lineman from getting to my quarterback. When you get into the weeds and you start looking at it, you can't even compare the two. They have different tools. They have different strengths. They have different attributes because they have a different purpose. Now look at Trent with his big old lumbering body not built for speed, not built for agility, not built to juke people and and run past the safety and dive into the end zone, not built for that. Can you imagine if Trent was walking around with that body telling coach, I want to play wide receiver. It's my dream to play wide receiver. Can you imagine if he was sitting over there on the bench looking at all the wide receivers, just just coveting and studying them and just dreaming about what it would be like to be them? He would miss all of his significance. If he tried to get out there and, and, and try out, he wouldn't even be listed as a professional. The best offensive lineman in the game couldn't even get on the field if he tried to get on the field in somebody else's purpose. The purpose you have is what determines the significance of your attributes. You don't have it like they got it, because you ain't them. You're looking at the attributes of others and reducing your own significance, not realizing you weren't called to play their position. And and you feel like that that God has failed you because he made you a Trent Williams and you're wanting to be a Cooper Cup. And you'll never be satisfied, Trent, as long as you want to be Cooper. But if you would ever discover the purpose and the beauty that is in you, you can rise to the very top and accomplish your destiny and secure your future With your own tools what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that you've got the tools to accomplish the purpose that God has designed for you. And while yes, when it comes to performance, you can always compete. You can always focus on getting better. But when it comes to purpose, nobody else on this planet can do what God purposed you to do. Nobody else on this planet can be who God purposed you to be. This is why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10 that it's unwise for us to compare ourselves among ourselves. And this, this understanding is so critical today, nowadays, because in our society and in our culture, every day, every time you pick up your phone, every time you get around your friends, people are always singing songs of comparison. And songs of comparison are the wrong song. And they wounded Saul's soul. And the wound in his soul got infected. And it turned toxic and bitter. And strife was there. And the Bible says where there is strife, there is all manner of evil. It opened up the door for his decline. And there's people listening to me right now who have heard the wrong song of comparison. Somebody compared you to somebody else, or maybe you've been comparing yourself to someone else, and that wrong song got in your mind, and it's been looping on repeat over and over and over again, and it's caused a wound in your soul and in your psyche, and God sent me here with three little simple little simple pills, just little simple things of medicine that you can take that I believe will help heal you. Step number one, or pill number one, if you please. And it's very obvious. Stop comparing yourself and the people you love to others. Stop comparing yourself and the people you love to others. Listen, we hate when people do this to us, but if we're not careful, we'll do it to other people, especially the people that we love. And when you're compared with someone, it immediately puts you in a defensive posture. The reason you get defenses are defensive is because you were just hit. When somebody compares you to someone else, it's akin to them hitting you. Stop hitting each other. Stop comparing yourself and the people you love to others. There are are good people in good relationships that you're supposed to be in, but the relationship is struggling this morning because you're comparing each other to relationships in the past it never works for the positive no matter how wonderful you are you will never be good at being someone else point number two focus on your purpose fine-tune your performance. Let's get that together. Focus on your purpose. Fine-tune your performance. Don't, don't reverse those. Don't get those mixed up. See, what everybody wants to do is they want to try to fine-tune and tinker with their purpose. You can't do it. Purpose is something that comes from God. Purpose has to be discovered and then submitted to discovered, and then said yes to. Okay. You, you, you have to say yes when God gives you a purpose. You have to say yes to it or you can run away from it like Jonah. And some people run all of their lives. Cain ran away from his purpose all of his life. Okay, There's all kind of people in the scripture that ran away from their purpose all the days of their lives. Or you can discover it and submit to it and realize the creator really did know better than you know. The master of the universe really did know what he was doing when he was making you. And if you somehow got it in your mind that you can't do what he called you to do, that's something that you need him to heal. That's something you need him to lead you through. But if God made you and purposed you and revealed that thing to you, no devil in hell can stop you from accomplishing. you got the tools. You have all the equipment you need. You have the personality. You have the education. You have the background. You have the words. You have the mind. You've got everything you need to accomplish the purpose he gave you, but not to accomplish the purpose you gave yourself or the purpose that other people put on you. Okay? You don't have those tools, but, but to accomplish the purpose God designed for you you've already got all the tools so focus on purpose that's what's that's that's got to be the focus then you can fine tune performance you ought to always be fine tuning your performance you know every day you ought to aim to be a little bit better than you were yesterday i'm 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 up here competing right now i'm in competition mode right now I'm trying to be a better preacher than another preacher, and the other preacher I'm trying to preach better than was me last week, okay? So you want to, listen, you want to focus on purpose, but then you always are fine-tuning performance. That's not a negative thing. There's a better you inside there somewhere screaming, trying to get out. So you always want to fine-tune that. You don't want to just settle in and just say, well, if it's going to be, it's going to be. No, you've got the purpose thing, but, but fine-tune your performance. Husbands, be a better husband tomorrow than you were today. Ladies, say amen. Y'all looking at me like that. Tell that joker sitting next to you, be better tomorrow. Ladies, be a better wife tomorrow than you were today. I knew y'all fellas weren't going to say nothing. Fine-tuning. Fine-tuning. What are you going to do with your health and fitness goals in 2022? Because if you hadn't already started working on it and think about it, if you hadn't written it down, it ain't going to happen. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? If you got high blood pressure, how are you gonna bring it down? Okay. Okay. If you're gonna exercise, what gym are you gonna exercise at? Or what plan that doesn't include a gym are you going to employ? Okay. Fine tuning, okay? What are you gonna do about that credit card debt? Oh, don't laugh about it, it ain't funny. What you gonna do about it? All those things, those things are fine tuning. Yeah. They ain't got nothing to do with who God made me to be in my purpose. Why would you try to fine tune purpose that you can't change? And then focus on performance and put all of your energy and time into trying to do something that you've not even discovered how to be we are a society focused on doing not being have you ever noticed when you go to a restaurant you see a couple people sitting down they don't even know how to just be They're both on their phones, 90 miles an hour, the whole meal, because they can't go sit in a room for an hour and 10 minutes and just shut up all the noise on the phone and all the stuff around them and sit there and look at each other and be. Why are we getting so bad at being? Because we're so focused on doing. Why are you so stressed out? Because you're not focused on being. Focused on doing. Why do you feel like you're constantly in the rat race? Go to sleep. Wake up. Not rested. Because you're so focused on doing. You haven't learned how to be. All right. So focus on performance. Focus on purpose. Fine tune performance. Uh, Let me give you this scripture. Let me give you this scripture. Ephesians 1 12. We're talking about doing and being doing and being doing is the performance, but the being that's the purpose, right? Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus and he said that we who first trusted in Christ should. Oh, you're slow. You're worth waiting on. Don't leave me up here by myself. Lights get kind of hot when you get quiet on me. Talk to me that that we should. That we should be to the praise of his glory. Paul's not talking about doing praise and worship here. We lift our hands in There's a lot of scriptures about doing praise and worship. But here Paul talks about another kind of praise and worship. The kind of praise and worship where your very being is a praise to God. Whether you open your mouth and clap your hands or not. Because when you finally get comfortable in the skin you're in, when you finally say yes and embrace the purpose God made for you, when you finally learn to pick up your tools that he gifted you to work with and you can for the first time in your life just be, then when you walk into a room, it's a praise to God. Your being is a praise to God because it shows off the glory of the one who made you be. Oh, you can give God a hand praise. That's good. Yes. Number three, I like this one. Number three, I like this one. Get some new singers. Uh Celebrate your own gifts. What amazes me about the text is Saul loses it. He spirals all the way down from this day. This was the day. This was the moment. You know, he started going into a dark hole. He didn't have to go into a dark hole. These were his singers. He could have told them, shut up. Don't like that song. And hired some people that would have sang a better song. And yet, he's in the throes of a full mental and emotional breakdown he's self-loathing he's drowning in his own insignificance because somebody that was paid to celebrate him messed around and sang the wrong song and there's people in this room sounds insignificant and that I'm just doing this motivational message. No, this is spiritual as you'll ever hear me. There's some people in this room, the devil's trying to take you down to the dark room, trying to take you down to the dungeon. And he's planted some negative people around you with the assignment to sing the wrong song in your ears, to have you walking around doubting who you are, doubting your own worth, doubting your own significance. But God sent me here to tell you, you are gifted, you are called, you are purposed, you are created by divine design. Your problem is... You just need to get some new singers. You just need to get some new singers. You need some new voices that, that understand there's nothing wrong with killing thousands. What's, what's so bad? about killing thousands so what that David killed what's wrong with the thousands I killed and David ain't signing your check so sing about my thousands it's what he should have done but he let the wrong song play in his speakers Never give a hater your microphone. If you want to sing about the upstart, go somewhere where I can't hear you. But if you're going to stand in King Saul's procession line, you're going to sing about the thousands I keep killing thousands that's worth validation what is it about us that we're so ungrateful with the kings in our lives that when we get in their presence we tell them what they're doing wrong more than we tell them what they're doing right. We tell them about 10,000s that are dead over there when they brought a 1,000 home. We tell them about the 10,000s that the guy across the street is making and the new car that pulled up in the driveway. But there's thousands at home. You know, what, what is it, what is it about you that you can't sing about the thousands? What is it about you that when you open your mouth, you're always singing the wrong song? And you hate it when we do it to you. You won't stand. But there's just that default thing and you do it because you are it. People can do no better than they are. And when you've always been torn down and when you've never been validated and when you've never been built up. And when somebody, while you were growing up, was always showing you the picture of what you should be and how bad you were and what a bad kid you are and what a, what a mess you are in school and how broken you are and how screwed up you are, when that is sown into you, the harvest looks like you doing it to others. I'm going to need to rewind that on the live stream play that a couple times. When you sow that, the harvest of it is you doing it to, to the people that are taking care of you, to the people that love you, to the people that matter to you, okay? That's why it's so insidious. That's why the enemy tries to deceive all of us to do it. Even if we understand it, he still tries to get us to do it, and we're all guilty of it. So the real oily, spiritual, prophetic word I have for you today, stop singing the wrong song. The thing that'll heal your relationship, stop singing the wrong song. The thing that will promote you on the job, stop singing the wrong song. The thing that will change your self-esteem is when you look in the mirror in the morning and you speak words in your mind about yourself, stop singing the wrong song and let the healing come. Let the freedom come. Let the self-worth Let the self-appreciation and, dare I say, self-celebration come. And if you ain't got nobody around you to sing you the right song, learn how to sing and celebrate to your own self. Learn how to talk good words to yourself. Know how to sing celebration over your spouse and over your children and over your house, even if it needs a paint job and even if the carpet's falling apart and even even if you need two pots and pans. Learn to come into the house and not always start dumping out all of the complaints and all of the misery and all of the wrong songs. Learn to shut up that song and put on a song of... Of celebration. There's somebody somewhere that would celebrate what you're miserable about. It may seem strange to you but I feel the glory of the Lord sweeping through this room in an unusual way. Dealing with your mind's eye And with your inner perspective concerning who you are. I pray the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. That you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe. Which he goes on to say were purposed by God. God himself. Do you grasp the weight of that concept? That you were purposed by God himself. The children you have, they were purposed by God himself. The family you are in right now was purposed by God himself. The life you're living, you're living purposed by God himself stop trying to tinker with and fine-tune what God called you to be accept purpose submit to purpose lean into purpose and you'll find that every tool and gift you ever needed is already in your hands God wouldn't have created you with a purpose and then not given you the tools to fulfill it You've already got what you need to be who he called you to be. Stand to your feet. Give the Lord a praise.